0: This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Coordinator in the Journals Division. The most recent issue of the journal American Amago featured four essays focused on grief and loss. The issue, titled Memory and Remembrance, Essays in Psychoanalytic Autobiography, contains lockout, spacing trauma and recovery in the aftermath of the Virginia Tech shootings, an essay written by Virginia Tech University faculty member Stephanie Hofer. She lost her husband, Jamie Bishop, on April 16th, 2007, during the deadliest school rampage in U.S. history. Hofer joined us to talk about her post-traumatic writing and how it has helped her to persevere and heal. Thank you for joining me today, Steffi. Tell me a little bit, how did you end up choosing American Imago for this essay?
1: Well, the trauma of losing my husband, Jamie Bishop, on April 16, 2007, during the Virginia Tech Massacre, left me in an emotional turmoil. In this long-term struggle, I searched for a tool that could relieve some of my inattentions, which, luckily, I found in writing. True to psychoanalysis, I addressed deep emotional problems in my essay by exploring memories, feelings, and dreams. I also analyzed how narrating can have a healing impact. American Immigrant as the journal committed to the enduring relevance of Freud's legacy across humanities, arts, and social sciences, seemed fitting. Working with the editor Lou Rose turned out to be a truly fruitful experience. After I had approached him about my writing project, he encouraged me to send him the two articles I had finished. He suggested to combine the two essays into one and even encouraged me to expand the content. After relieving me from any page limit, he emphasized that I should only write about what was helpful in my healing process, trusting that such narration would be of benefit to readers as well.
0: How important is it for journals to provide a home for essays like yours and others in this issue dealing with, with such trauma and grief?
1: Um, very important. Very important. I often have encountered a certain fear, if not open aversion of subjectivity and personal reflections in scholarly writing. The essays in this issue gain their strength by relying on personal experiences. As Ellen Sachs puts it in the outset of the article, quote, I write on psychosis, pain and time from a personal standpoint. I do not do a study nor even review the literature. Rather, I reflect on my own experiences. End of quote. These essays testify that through writing, both authors and readers can find insight also pertaining to theory. Such applied approaches are extremely valuable as they express our memories and remembrance and enhance the role of autobiographical narration in their formation. In addition, they can be of concrete help beyond the ivory tower of academia when dealing with profound losses and its emotional ramifications. Something we all have to face at some point in our lives.
0: Writing didn't always come easy as you worked through your trauma. When you started in 2010 or, or even earlier, did you think in five years you'd have a completed published essay?
1: I actually started writing in the first days after the murder of my husband Jamie, so in 2007. These reflections and thoughts were handwritten in a journal. Then the need for an imaginary reader became stronger and stronger because it forced me to not simply vent, but to sharpen my thoughts by sharpening my language. This was when I started typing on my laptop. I started approaching my personal experiences, in the way I did my scholarly writing. That meant that one of the most fruitful stages of the writing process was the editing and revising part. This would allow me to gain understanding where my highly emotional or traumatic reactions were coming from. For instance, I noticed that the interface between the trauma and my professional life as an assistant professor in the department Jamie worked as an instructor, and in the small town of Blacksburg that is so much connected with the university, Virginia Tech. There were so many triggers on a daily basis, even months and years after my initial traumatization. While writing and then rereading my story, patterns, resemblances, and repetitions became visible, and that helped me to better predict and cope with potential reminders. Writing enabled me to slowly move the traumatic event into the past and to establish a certain emotional distance to the traumatic memory. Consequently, it helped to deflate a strangely inflated memory preoccupied with the past. By accepting that, as a narration, remembrance has to become more selective. Ultimately, through writing, I regained emotional control in and over literary and figurative spaces of traumatization, which enabled my gradual reintegration into the public life. But coming back to your initial question, no, I didn't think that I would publish my narration at all. At the beginning of the writing process, the question of privacy was still of paramount importance to me. Intrusion of privacy was a highly traumatizing experience in the aftermath of April 16. Information about my person in connection with Jamie and his murder seemed to be floating on campus, the town of Blacksburg, and even on the internet. Consequently, protecting privacy was my primary goal. Never would I have thought that there would come the time when I want to publish such personal material. Making my story written from my perspective and publicly available gave me a feeling of taking control of the once uncontrollably spread information out there. It is an empowering feeling. What was once so frightening because out of my hands is now edited and sanctioned by me. Again, I consider it a step towards reintegration into public life. I also withdrew from people because I didn't know what they knew about me. Since I didn't know much or often nothing about them, I considered it an unwanted and unfair imbalance of personal knowledge in interpersonal relations. I felt naked exposed. My essay counteracts this unwanted exposure by allowing me to have a choice, and I choose to have a voice now when I feel ready for it.
0: Early in the essay, you wrote that you are, quote, still standing, unquote. Um, How important was that declaration for you to readers?
1: Well, originally originally it was addressed at myself. If you have been at a point in your life that the only thought that keeps you alive is the fear that your beloved pet could end up in an animal shelter, you feel pride for being alive. I derive strength from it. It was an encouragement to continue the uphill path, the hope that things would continue getting better. Although I had read about trauma, including my research, it was beyond my imagination to what extent and time an emotional injury can be paralyzing. I felt like being knocked to the ground. At first, though, I didn't perceive myself as a victim of trauma at all. The term victim was preserved for the people killed on April 16th. The survivors of the classroom and first responders were victims of trauma in my eyes. It was difficult for me to wrap my mind around the idea that not being exposed to the violence directly, but losing a loved one under these circumstances, being on campus that day, and living through the aftermath could have such profound emotional effects. Having the line of me still standing in the first paragraph of the essay invites the reader to learn with me what it means to be traumatized and what it takes to recover. I feel very fortunate that I had so many resources, including writing available, to assist me in this healing process. I'm afraid the majority of trauma victims worldwide don't have such assistance which can be devastating for these victims and potentially their environment.
0: Building on that, how, how do you hope your essay will help others, whether they are a victim of trauma or just uh, have it somehow in their lives?
1: Yeah, During times of frequent mass shootings in the U.S., American troops' involvement in conflicts abroad, often returning with PTSD, and not to forget, the daily violence in U.S. inner cities, we, as a society, need to be wary of trauma and its impact on the human mind. Hopefully, my essay can be a contribution in this matter. In my opinion, there is a widespread misconception of trauma and recovery from traumatic loss. As mentioned earlier, I myself was not aware of the long-term emotional effects of such loss it seems to be the assumption that recovering from traumatic losses can be achieved through mourning. At least, that is how I interpret why so many people felt the need to give me books on mourning after April 16th. My first thought upon opening this well intended present was, well, I wish I had only this problem to deal with. Mourning doesn't heal trauma so. When faced with traumatic loss, one has to tackle grief, trauma, and the environment around. One of the goals of my essay is to learn how to predict my traumatic reactions while mourning Jamie's is death as well. Such coping was the best way of healing for me. Victims of trauma react differently, though, and therefore individualized healing processes are necessary. I hope that my essay will be a source of encouragement for other trauma victims to keep looking for the right way and resources comforting them.
0: Steffi, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to share some more thoughts on on your essay and, and you know, what you've been through and what you're going through, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu journals for more information.